Hear now the words of our gospel lesson. People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them. And the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? God of grace, God of love, as we gather together, may we hear and see this word, this story anew. Through Christ we pray. Amen. On Wednesday night, together we gathered on the speckled white story carpet. The pile of the carpet is worn thin, and the color is dingy and dirty these days more than it is a stark white. We gathered together, aiming for a circle, but knowing that three and four and five-year-olds form a circle all on their own. With wide, attentive eyes and open ears, the children listened. And from outside the door to the classroom, you might have heard these words. God's love is for everyone. God loves you, and God loves me. God loves people who are different from us. God is wonderful like that. Reminiscent of the often quoted Abilene from the book and movie The Help, who reminds young children that they are kind and smart and important, the rhythm to the words we spoke on Wednesday night reminded us of a spiritual truth, a biblical truth. And if you had a camera to see us, you would have seen our hands moving along with our voices speaking. God's love is for everyone. God loves you, and God loves me. God loves people who are different from us. God is wonderful like that. When I asked the children what sign they might make for wonderful, one of our five-year-olds said and demonstrated without hesitation, put your fingers on the corner of your mouth to make a big, big smile. I love that. God is so wonderful that we want to force our smile to be bigger than it can be on its own. In contrast, our text this morning does not begin with the reminder that God is wonderful like that or with a smile stretching from ear to ear. Instead, it begins with the reaction of the disciples to people who brought young children to see Jesus. I've tried to imagine the scene. Jesus teaching and telling stories, the disciples standing around as a sort of shield, trying to guard Jesus' time and who gets close to him and who doesn't. I've imagined the adults off on the sidelines. Maybe they just wanted to hear Jesus for themselves and they're hovering. Now, we aren't sure how young little children are in this text. In Luke's account, the suggestion is that the children are infants, but other scholars think that the children may have ranged in age up to six years old. So maybe one of the children broke away from a parent, which might be very age-appropriate. Perhaps someone wanted to bring a child close for a blessing, to be healed, or just to meet this person who was claiming such incredible things about God and God's kingdom. 
The scripture is full of people longing to touch Jesus, to just get close enough to touch the hem of his garment. Something powerful drew them toward him. And so the disciples' response to this scene was harsh and severe and forbidding. It's not actually clear whether the disciples are addressing the adults who brought the children or the children themselves. But I can see the disciples' furrowed brow and hear the frustration in their voices, get back, or perhaps, this is not the time for children to be around, or even, why are they making so much noise? We can't hear Jesus teach. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant, scripture tells us. Before preparing for today, I had thought that indignant was to mean someone who is steadfast or convincing or unmoving on a particular conviction, kind of a digging your heels in stubborn. But when I checked into it further, I was reminded that it actually has a much stronger meaning. Instead, it's an expression of strong displeasure at something considered unjust or offensive or even insulting. The disciples were insulting children? Or the people who brought them to Jesus? Or maybe both? And Jesus would not hear of it. Children in this Greco-Roman world of the first century played an interesting role. Two varying contexts existed during this time. The Hellenistic tradition and the Jewish tradition of the Old Testament. Children were valued in both, but for varying reasons. The Hellenistic tradition had a regard for children in that children existed as part of the family and community systems. Children helped families run. They worked toward the family benefit so that all needs were met and all were able to live. But also mixed into that reality, parents, especially the father, were in charge of the child's well-being. To accept or reject the child from the family, even at birth based on gender or health, to limit activity, to determine life or even death. And if children were accepted into the family, childhood was not valued in and of itself as it is now. Instead, it was largely something to live through, to endure, to survive, ultimately to arrive at the pinnacle of adulthood. Now, Old Testament Judaism also had its own tradition in respect to childhood. Children were cherished in this tradition as gifts from God. There was no potential rejection by the family to be feared, and children were considered part of the covenant with God even before they were born. However, Jewish tradition did not romanticize children as we do today. First century versions of slick signage, creative packaging, babies sitting still and smiling and sleeping, no crying they make, that wouldn't have been part of this world. Instead, the primary focus was on teaching children the religious tradition and developing discipline as children made their way into adulthood. Now, we can't be certain what the disciples were thinking as they tried to keep the children from approaching Jesus. Perhaps they were paying attention to cultural norms and treating children and the people who brought them with injustice and unkindness. Perhaps they were simply trying to protect Jesus' time and energy. But regardless of their motivation... If we're talking about who is in and who is out in the kingdom of God, at this point, the disciples were saying that children were out. One scholar suggests that children were actually considered non-persons, 
meaning that their humanity as full, whole people was not recognized. No rights, no power, no status, next to invisible. At this point in the text, Jesus stops the disciples in their tracks and says, Let the little children come to me. Do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. He is emphatic, indignant. He says the same thing twice, once in the positive, once in the negative, both times in the structure of a command. The disciples still haven't understood what he's been teaching them about the wideness of God's kingdom. I've also wondered how the children reacted to this unanticipated and surprise invitation into the circle. Did some cling desperately to their parents? Did some race forward with eagerness? Did some carefully and thoughtfully inch their way forward, wondering if this was really happening? The image of children being drawn into the circle reminds me of a modern-day experience of being present yet not included and the redemption that comes from recognizing that all have a place in the kingdom. From last Advent season, a member of our community of faith writes this. Advent has come to an end. Christmas has come and gone. Epiphany awaits as we remember the journey of the Magi to visit the babe in the manger. It's been a long journey this season, one which claimed the realities of Ecclesiastes, a time for laughing and a time for mourning. In the midst, I found myself staring on the fourth Sunday of Advent, completely unable to check into the worship service mentally or spiritually or emotionally. The room was adorned with the sights of Christmas, chrismons, wreaths, greenery, candles, and poinsettias. A beautiful sight, whether in times of joy or sorrow, and yet my spirit sagged. Suddenly, my staring focused in on one lone poinsettia, poised on the floor, perhaps unseen by anyone but those of us sitting near the front. The pot wrapped in beautiful gold foil, I stared at this plant for what seemed like hours. And just as a three-dimensional image suddenly pops into view, so also did I suddenly see this plant. I noticed its leaves, withered, dry, and curling in on themselves. I noticed its petals, several clearly attached, but a couple of others connected only by small threads and threatening to separate from the rest of the plant. I noticed that it seemed to be surrounded by perfection, perky red petals arranged in a beautiful star pattern reaching up to the light, green leaves, healthy and strong. The wilted poinsettia took back my gaze, for in that moment, void of joy and celebration and engagement of my mind and spirit, I found myself enamored by an imperfect wilted plant hanging on by a thread. Reminded that even this plant, in its saddened, withering state, held a significant place in the room. Surrounded by seeming perfection, it blended into the mix of the decor and even added to the ornate picture of joy of Advent and impending Christmas. With nothing left to give and only a staring gaze to offer, I too contributed to the beauty of that Advent day. With sadness, wilted joy, and weary with grief, the poinsettia taught a poignant lesson. Poised though weak and present despite crisis, I come as I am, I pray as I am, I cry as I am. 
I am who I am, which in that Advent moment just happened to be wilted and withered, using every ounce of energy to stand tall and allow myself to be present and a participant in the Advent story. Now, Jesus invited the children into the circle, and although Mark doesn't tell us if all of them stepped forward or how eagerly they did so, Jesus' point was clear. He was inviting the children into the circle just as they were. Whether broken or wilted or sad or joyful or lonely or grieving or outcast, the children are welcomed and in so doing now see themselves as part of God's story, part of the kingdom of God. Then Jesus goes on. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. Now, it might seem self-explanatory. Enter the kingdom as a little child. I think our minds easily go to pictures of calm, bright-eyed little preschool children peering upward to Jesus, sitting on a rock ledge from our own early days in Bible study classes. Does anybody remember this picture? (laughs) Pictures that communicate innocence, a willingness to hear and to learn, admiration for this speaker, this figure speaking before them. And while those attributes of children are and can be true, you and I both know that preschool children rarely sit attentively for that long of a time period, and they are typically more engaged and interactive with their surroundings. I personally much prefer the image of children trying to sit right next to Jesus or crawling right up into his lap. So while some suggest that receiving the kingdom of God as a child revolves around adults embracing these kind of childlike qualities, others like Judith Gundry suggest that the text might also refer to childlike status, recalling the social context of that time when children were powerless, lowly, and vulnerable. This understanding of God's kingdom belonging to such as these is reminiscent of the text from just a couple of weeks ago in Mark 9 where Jesus says, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. And it rings similarly to next week's lectionary text, as Jesus tells the rich young ruler to give up all of his possessions in order to inherit the kingdom. Today, I wonder if receiving the kingdom might involve some of both. But this latter understanding begs the question in our day and in our time, who are the last and the least? Who in our culture is powerless? Who is next to invisible in our city and whose rights in our world are diminished? Who are the people that see themselves as wilted with little to give? Now, one scholar goes so far as to suggest that if Jesus were telling this story today, he would not use children as the example. Instead, he would use another group of people that society largely ignores or oppresses. Now, I'm not sure I think Jesus might not have used children as an example today, as there are plenty of children who are invisible in our world. But whom else might Jesus have mentioned? Right now, three folks from Highland are in Morocco, learning more about the plight of refugees who have fled their home country due to fear of death and are now stuck with no papers, no consistent means of caring for family, and they are scraping by. Right now, refugees in our own city are learning how to navigate a new land, a new city, a new way of living. 
Right now, children live in extreme poverty and in fear of violence and in need of hope here in Louisville, in Miami, Florida, and on the other side of the world. Right now, people, children, and adults are hungry and cold living on the streets of Louisville. Right now, someone in our circle of work life or family life feels outcast or alone. And right now, someone in this very room might be wondering, does God really love me? Is it possible that Jesus could welcome me? If we will but see it, this world is full of children, full of people who need to hear the last line of the story. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. Jesus may have been teaching the disciples and those gathered and listening, but he didn't stop there. He showed them. Jesus included the children took them in his arms, held them and hugged them and blessed them without condition. And so we ask ourselves this day, having been formed and transformed by the gift of God's love, how will we then become bearers of that same love to those who most need to hear of it? As we ended our story time on Wednesday night after practicing again and again, God's love is for everyone. We began our next activity. I asked all of the children to listen closely, for I was going to describe a person that God loved. And if that person happened to be them, I asked them to come up front with me, and they can have a hug if they would like. I think God loves a person wearing red shoes. I think God loves a person wearing pink polka dots. I think God loves a person who has on a choo-choo train sticker. Each time as the boy or girl realized that I was describing them specifically, they got up, eyes beaming, walking to where I sat crisscross applesauce on the dingy white speckled story carpet. I offered a hug if they wanted one and put my hands on their shoulders and looked deeply into their eyes and said, I hope you will always remember how much God loves you. Each and every time, the child's eyes would grow wide and their smile would smile bigger than it had before because God loves everyone. God loves you, and God loves me. God loves people who are different from us, and God is wonderful like that. Amen. Let us.